0: So let's go and just go ahead and get started. We've got Lynette from Captivating Training Solutions here. Lynette, thanks for... uh, We finally got it sorted, mate.
1: We did, and thank
0: you for inviting me. You're most welcome. So Lynette is part of a, a training business or it's your own training business in the UK yeah?
1: That's correct yeah.
0: And so I, I saw that she what she does and you know I, I'm always interested to hear what uh, other trainers are doing or ex- people who speak to pharmacists and in front of shop um, mm-hmm. and you've got you've got more experience than I do so you have probably got a lot of cool information you spoke to a lot of really cool and lovely people who've helped out thousands or millions of people. So, I'm interested to hear what you figured out.
1: Yeah, so, anything specific?
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. Because um, there's what, honestly, uh...
1: there is so much um, I could tell you about pharmacy, but um, particularly just now there's a lot of change, and I think that is what's been keeping me particularly busy, as I think when it comes to change, the only person that likes change is a wet baby. So <laughs> and helping people adapt to that is um a big part of my role.
0: Okay, so it sounds like you do um almost like cultural change within pharmacy, right? To adapt with the <laughs> with the new legislations.
1: Yeah, it's, there's a number of things that I do. So if I kind of break down my business, I have two parts of it. One of it is to support pharmacy and to support big pharma companies when it comes to training them up on their products. Um, and one of the companies I'm working with right now is particularly passionate about supporting them with their business skills. And right now, because it's such a challenge in pharmacy, there's a lot of pharmacies that are actually closing because of legislative changes recently. So they're having to adapt quite rapidly in order to be able to keep their doors open, and part of that is to be able to give them the business skills to be able to do that, to look for other revenue streams to be more efficient as teams. and the other part of it is to sell more product and that's where I come in is to really train them how to do all that and then the other part of my business is to support people when it comes to organizational health. And I was recently um, trained up as a mental health first aid instructor, which has come in particularly handy because right now in pharmacy, mental health is actually quite poor, and you can imagine why if you're worried that your business is going to close and your team's really stressed. So that particular training has come in like really handy recently.
0: Right. Okay. Well, that's. I, I guess it's a a direction that you can help pharmacists out with though I I guess probably an interesting place to start given your experience is what do you how do you find pharmacists are different from other professionals and or people who work in pharmacy I I came into the industry from a retail background Mm -hmm. and I thought oh yeah I can train this stuff I can train sales in in this area and it's a different it was in australia anyway it was a different kettle of fish and i realized very quickly look these this is a different world like this is a different culture they've got different intelligences they've got different motivations different uh ethics you know different morals um and so what what have you been what have been your experiences you you didn't come from a retail background you were more in 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 health to begin with though right
1: yeah I um, graduated from Glasgow University with a degree in infection biology, but I knew right. i couldn 't work in a lab I just I needed to be around people and so okay. I actually fell into a career as a medical sales representative and it wasn 't a profession I really enjoyed um because i i it wasn 't because i didn 't enjoy um, meeting the people because you got to meet so many different people. It was a very hard to work in profession because to be honest, a lot of the people that you had to access didn't really want to see you. Like, for example, mm. most of the time I felt like a glorified caterer because I would be going in, and the only way I'd access doctors or consultants was to put on some form of lunch or um, meeting or dinner. And when you were there, they would kind of say things like, Well, what's your spiel? And, and immediately I knew that they weren't really interested in the education and the information that I had to share with them. So, I really found my passion when I started with a company called Reckitt Benckisa, and that's where I finally got to work with pharmacy, and what a breath of fresh air it was. I mean, pharmacists for me versus other healthcare professionals are some of the most approachable. Um, and caring professionals, and that's not to say GPs aren't. I just find them mm. a little bit harder to access. Whereas yeah. pharmacists just kind of open their doors. They do it to the public. One of the most accessible healthcare professionals out there. And they, I mean, I've worked with so many different types recently. I was um, had the privilege of working in a pharmacy for a day and getting to work with all the different members of staff to learn. More about the challenges that each role faces, and it was just the way that they welcomed me with open arms and just the banter and um, fun that they had but i I do know that from working with lots of different pharmacies that 's not always the case. I actually find that if anything there 's a lot of pharmacies out there that feel disconnected with each other, like they 're not good at talking to each other as a team. they tend to go mm. in and do the day job and And so they don't feel like they're functioning as well. And so they don't really enjoy their job. And and that's the guys that really feel more of the pressure. Whereas those high functioning teams, the ones that there's great delegation um, and great communication, that's where you find great teams that are coping with these incredible challenges that are happening right now so I think that's key is for teams to really learn how to work better together so that they become more efficient but yeah pharmacists and and their staff are just an absolute privilege to work with
0: yeah I I really appreciate the intelligences that the field has um, one thing you mentioned leadership there with pharmacists mm-hmm. one thing I've noticed is like I, I, I I I imagine this is how it goes because like the requirements for pharmacy or to be interested in it or to have aspirations of becoming one probably require you to be good at chemistry at some point in school. I imagine you'd be attracted to that. So you've got to have really, really great understanding of protocol, really great uh, recall of data or data depending on the audience. Um, (laughs) And, but that is kind of really, the opposite um, kind of intelligence to having the emotional leadership skills or, um, and the uh, not passion, but, um, or maybe not even aggression, but just, you know, it's kind of the opposite to, to protocol driven versus I want gimme. So that that's one of the things I think, um, you know, I'm really good at remembering this information in this book and I can ace this test, but then when I, when I get into the field, I've got to lead these people. <laughs> and I'm sure it's like every other degree in the world, you get like a six month course on leadership. It's like, oh, okay, now I've got it. Nah, 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 do nah, nah. <laughs> So what kind of leadership, right. yeah. What kind of leadership yep. skills in pharmacy do you think uh, that they have the most opportunity to work on?
1: It's interesting and yeah. I'm going to answer that question in just a moment, because I just thought what was really relevant to what you just said there was, you're right, a lot of people that go into a pharmacy degree have great skill when it comes to science, particularly chemistry, and have Mm. a very logical um, scientific brain, and doesn't always lend itself well towards people skills. And so what we often find is um, when pharmacists come out into the field that's the bit that they often struggle with but I've seen some incredible leaps and bounds recently and a big part of that is leadership and you're mm. right when they come out of the profession they're they're not told how to lead people they're told all the the science that they need to understand in order to dispense medication safely and effectively but again running a business managing a team, and today with the changes in pharmacy, it is no longer just about dispensing, particularly for the pharmacist, it is a lot more about clinical skills and consultation, and that is a completely different skill set as well. So, in leadership, you are absolutely right, there are definitely skills, but I think those skills don't come with just one course. It comes through life experience and and learning from your peers, learning from the staff. And I think that's a big thing as well, is that they need to learn to listen to their own staff because they're the very people that are going to give you the feedback to tell you whether or not you're a good leader.
0: Yeah. I had a pharmacist in here yesterday in the US and um her name's Heather and she like she wasn't like a lot of other pharmacists. She was the style of uh, conversation, the style of information that she was attracted to is very emotional. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, it's almost, uh, we need, like primarily, of course, we need a pharmacist. If you are going to build one, like if you were a god and you're like, okay, I need this intelligence and I need this one and I need this one, you'd, first you'd start with, can they safely dispense medication and can they remember what the heck they're doing, <laughs> But <laughs> right? but yeah like with the uh, the emotional it's almost asking them to be two people it's not yeah it it shouldn't be uh something that well you know that's why I, when i started in the field i was afraid of pharmacists like i, I, I remember that's saying my business yeah yeah well not like just sort of have a lot of reverence for them there mm-hmm. there was nothing like i didn't have a bad experience i was just like you know am i allowed to talk to this guy He's just a person, right? And they're like, "Yeah, it's mm-hmm. you know, you're business partners with one. What are you talking? About? <laughs> they're really nice, really nice people." But uh, the 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 reverence that I had for them was, um, I think it was based on the 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 moral, the, the morals that they have and the ethics that they have. That they're really very concerned. Um, yeah. About doing the right thing, they've got a they've, they've got so many ha- so many hats to wear in terms of retail and healthcare and and concern for the public and fending off you know th- these new legislation. So why don't you go into the um, into the, some of the legislations that you're dealing with in the UK?
1: Well, I was recently doing a series of training events on behalf of a company um, called Perigo. And they were incredibly mm. passionate about pharmacy and in these series of events that I was doing on their behalf it was all around what's called the GPHC inspections so that's the General Pharmaceutical Council it's a mm. professional body that inspects pharmacies and the pharmacists themselves to ensure that again they're delivering safe and effective services and it was during this roadshow of events that I really learned that as you said the multiple hats that these professionals have to wear and just how concerned and frustrated they were in and, and as, as you said the legislative changes. So there's been a lot of changes recently in, in terms of funding. This is very specific to um, England within the United Kingdom. Scotland, where I am from, um, has a completely different contract, and thankfully they do not have the same kind of pressures. They do have different services, but it is particularly in England right now, where a lot of pharmacists have been struggling, because 90% of their income would usually come from dispensing prescriptions. And right. recently, the government pulled a lot of that funding and is not necessarily taking funding away from pharmacy, but just redirecting it. And they're redirecting it into services that are really about benefiting patient outcomes. Like, for example, yeah. I'd like to give you a personal example. My um, grandmother had chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, and yeah. she had two different inhalers. One was an inhaler called Seretide. It was a purple inhaler, and you, you literally just pressed a button and breathed in the, the powder. And then when she got the second inhaler, it was a completely different technique where you had to—it was called Spireva—you had to take a capsule, open up the inhaler, put the capsule in, close it, press a button which would pierce it and then breathe in. But my grandmother made the assumption that Well, if I press this button, I just breathe in like the other inhaler and I must eat that capsule. So, she was taking her medication incorrectly. And the last oh, wow. person she kind of gets to see is the pharmacist. And this is why we do see that there is a lot more push towards management of chronic um, conditions where they have fantastic services. Like, for example, the new medicine service. When somebody is prescribed a new medicine, there's a great service that you have a pharmacist that's going to talk you through your medication to help you get the best out of it. Now, can you see mm. how that could have benefited my grandmother? Now right. that is why the right now it's it's been incredibly challenging for pharmacists because a, a massive amount of their income has changed, but they can potentially earn it back in other ways. But in doing that, as I said before, change management—you've got to learn how to be more efficient as a team to find time to deliver these services while you're still dispensing an incredible volume of prescriptions. So I can see why it has been. A, a, For many, unbearable. Um, So, yeah, right now it's just trying to find ways to support these incredible people and their teams and being able to continue to deliver those services and learn new ones. So, that's the kind of things that I've been working with them on at the moment.
0: With that, what sort of conversations are they uh, sort of struggling with? Leadership can be tough, it's not always fun, it's not all beer and Skittles, but what sort of conversations do you find um, you know, that they need to have that they find something better to do?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, do you know, it's funny when you say about leadership, I think leadership leaders need to have vision, they need to know where they're going, and have a clear um, vision of the future. But I often find that the conversations I have with pharmacists, they, they say their biggest challenge is time time to do everything they need to do during the day. So To find time to plan ahead, to create a vision, to create goals, to then lead their team is one of their biggest challenges. And When you have these barriers and challenges that are hitting you, you have to then take a step back and look at how you are going to manage these. How can you find other ways to get around them to continue to make your business not just survive, but thrive? And I've been very fortunate. Like I said, I've been working with Perigo, and they're one of the very, I think they're actually the only company in the world that actually bought their own pharmacy because they thought if they want to really truly support pharmacy, they thought we need to walk in their shoes. And through that, I was fortunate to work. It's actually called Warman Freed, and it's uh, affectionately known as the Learning Pharmacy. So, through working with these incredible people, I've been able to learn a lot about the pressures they face and about how do we help other pharmacies overcome those challenges and oh, that's a lot really walking
0: the food walk course, hey.
1: yeah. I mean, it's not just in that pharmacy, with other partners that I've had, um, one of them being Wright Medicine Pharmacy, fantastic group of pharmacies in Scotland. They've given me the wonderful opportunity to go in and shadow and and watch a lot of how their teams work, uh, which has taught me an immense amount, because I myself, as I said, I didn't graduate a pharmacist, I graduated with infection biology degree. But um, yeah, really, I, I don't think anybody can Truly help somebody without first understanding where they're coming from. But yeah.
0: So, do you think that so they've got they're short on time and they yes. use I think you mentioned delegating like you need to yeah. have that is that is that a conversation that they're hard? You think it's the conversation that is uh, that's difficult to have or they don't have the vision of um, of, of being the delegator or.
1: No, I think sometimes the issue is, um, again, when you are so bogged down with the workload, to find time to upskill your staff so that you mm. can eventually delegate them more um, jobs or, or, or skills. I think that has been a, a, an incredible challenge. And and sometimes it is an element of control as well. If you, you, if you want to delegate, there has to be an element of trust trust that that yeah. person can effectively do the job as well as you can. and So, sometimes I feel like the pharmacists have a great weight on their shoulders in terms of, sometimes they might not want to let go because they maybe, again, don't have the staff that have the skills. But, yeah, a lot of the times it is communication when it comes to delegation as well, like making sure you get clear instructions and, um, and like you said, visions, and but also that people can come back and ask for help as well. But, yeah, that is, as I said at the very start, effective teams is one of key challenge in pharmacy right now.
0: So, let's talk about their teams. What sort of skill sets um, do you think that would help pharmacists to trust their team so that they could easily, more easily or more confidently delegate? What sort of, like, the, I guess, like with the lowest amount of skill and the largest amount of time that is allowed for the pharmacist?
1: Well, you've got an incredible multidisciplinary team in a pharmacy. Mm. Um, I love um, working with the counter-assistants because they are the face of pharmacy, and they can do an incredible amount of work on behalf of the pharmacist to, again, Yeah,
0: most, most frequented, they're the most frequented health professional in the world, the front of shop. Most frequented health professional. Yep, yep, we've got the largest opportunity to help people right there
1: absolutely and one of the great changes i've seen in pharmacy in the last kind of 5 years this again is specific to nhs england was the introduction of what was called healthy living pharmacies and the difference between if you want to call it a normal pharmacy and a healthy living pharmacy is healthy living pharmacies are from a behavioral point of view more proactive I find pharmacy to be quite reactive, and it's natural in that job to be that way where you come in and you have some, well, somebody comes in and they ask you for help whereas yeah. in a healthy living pharmacy you are supposed to reach out and raise awareness to the public, hold um, educational events, um, create healthy living zones, which is going to educate the public when they come into your store. And what was great about that was the introduction of healthy living champions, and that was often the counter assistant, the, the person at the front of shop, because as you said, they are the, the face that they first see, they have got the greatest opportunity, to really have those conversations. So that's where I think, again, the pharmacists delegate that role, like that kind mm. of health champion, and get them more involved. Because the, the counter assistant has a, an incredible opportunity to drive a lot of the business for the pharmacist. I mean, right. I, sometimes I find pharmacies think that it has to be the pharmacist that sells a service. And that's something I've found about pharmacy, is they absolutely hate selling. It's one of the (laughs) only retail professions I've come across where selling seems to be a bad word. It's actually an article I'm going to publish in, which is why does selling seem to be such a bad word? And I think it's all the kind of stigma around selling. And I think because there's that kind of ethical battle going on in pharmacy that you want to give the person the right medicine, but also the best value. Um, And one of my biggest bugbears in pharmacy is, um, and even comedians have joked about this, because you have comedians like Jack Dee. um, If you go on YouTube, you find Jack Dee jokes about how if you go into a pharmacy and you ask for a branded product, the the counter staff or the pharmacist will naturally try to trade you down into a generic and less expensive product. Now, you could say that they're adding value to the customer because they're saving them money, but what they're also doing is stripping money from their own business. But yep. also, I think they consider what's called the nocebo effect. And the nocebo effect being that if that person, from a psychological point of view, doesn't understand how these medicines are equivalent, they could go home and either have more side effects or a less effective result from the medicine. And this is why, again, I. I think from a retail point of view, it's one of my biggest bugbears why they do that. But I can understand why they want to, because they want to give the customer great service. But as you come back back to the staff, um, you've got all sorts of different professions from dispensing technicians, accuracy checking technicians, all these different um, professionals that can free up the pharmacist's time so that they can dedicate more time and effort into these services that can generate more income. So, I think that is where the change in pharmacy is really going to come.
0: I I used to get really frustrated at pharmacists for not being more salesy, but then I came to appreciate that that's actually perfect, the perfect sort of moral bottleneck for the job. And uh, well, after I see sort of GPs or bodies uh, legislative bodies attack pharmacists. I'm like, dude, do you really, do you get how hard their job is? Like, do you get no. being a re, being in retail where, where you're going to make money, but also mm-hmm. talking people out of it <laughs> because, mm-hmm. b- because you, you because want to do the right thing. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've come across the same experiences. They all hate the word sales. That was what really <laughs> kind of made, made me realize I'm a fish out of water um when i went from retail into pharmacy and it was mm-hmm. like, i was like i i don't know what i'm doing here so this is kind of when i went when i was in retail i would ask the best person what are you doing like wh- what are you doing that's different to me that are getting the results that are different and i just did the same mm-hmm. thing in pharmacy come to really appreciate the kind of care and intelligences that the leaders of the pack um bring to the table so you, you talked about the the different uh, disciplines. What what would be a skill that you call it? Uh, not the cashier, the front receptionist. Is that what you call it?
1: So th- there's a number of different names that are batted about: medicines counter assistant, yeah. pharmacy assistant. Right. Yeah. Hmm.
0: When it comes to that particular role, the face. Mm-hmm. What is one skill? they could do a lot that would help free up the pharmacist time one conversation piece one question one uh suggestion one d- redirection what's something that they could do
1: i that's a difficult one because i I don't know if there's one thing, because there are so many things that they could be doing. Um, If I was to choose one that I think it's not just about time, but also revenue or business, that would be selling the services. So for me, a fundamental skill is communication. If they have superior or excellent communication um, and knowledge about the products, then they are actually freeing up the pharmacist a lot more because they're not having to ask his support or her support. A company Mm -hmm. called which.co.uk has been doing mystery shops into pharmacy for the last, I think, 12 years or so. And they do them every four years or so where they have um, mystery shoppers that go into pharmacy. And they have tested different things. And in 2013, one of the things they were testing was whether or not the counter staff would appropriately involve the pharmacist. And in this case, they were buying a product that had recently switched over from prescription only to pharmacy only, and it was called mm-hmm. Nexium. So, the customer would go in and ask for Nexium, and they would be recording this um, mystery shop to see what kind of questions were asked, what advice was given, and did the pharmacist um, get involved at any point. So, in this, um, like I think there was over 100 mystery shops, it didn't shine a very good light on pharmacy. Because there was a lot of pharmacies that when the customer asked for the product, they would just sell them it without asking a single question. There were some that would ask your kind of, if you want to call it shortcut questions, which is, is it for yourself? Have you had it before? Um, but what they really wanted to see was if they had asked, like, what other medication are you on? the the mystery shopper would have said warfarin. Now, at that point, you would appropriately involve the pharmacist and the pharmacist would come out and actually advise the patient, actually, this product is not safe for you to use. So that's essentially what they were testing. And that is why fundamentally, I think it's really important that not just the entire pharmacy team, but more particularly focused on the counter staff. Because they are working with over-the-counter medicines and dealing with public and giving advice on minor ailments, it is important that they keep their knowledge up to date so that, again, they could be freeing up the pharmacist's time a lot more if they were really confident in what they were talking about. Whereas you find that if they don't have that knowledge, they are having to lean on the pharmacist and their, their colleagues a lot more. And that comes back to your question about what's the one thing that they can do. And I think that is really upskill their knowledge on the products that they're responsible for selling.
0: So is there like a protocol in Australia, it's a go or CARA, is there a, a protocol for uh, the, I don't know what the schedules are called in, in the UK, but um, we've got S2S3 medications where we we're uh, accredited in being able to dispense. And we've got to ask those questions. There's, very similar situation in in Australia, where you get the mystery shoppers and even veterans who are not doing the right thing. I found the, the most common question that they ask that actually isn't taught is, Do "You have any allergies?" <laughs> that's what the vets. Yeah. That's what the vets ask. That isn't taught. So, yeah. But what's the What's the protocol that they have? Um, it.
1: Um. In the UK, I think it's UK-wide, they have what's called WAM. Now, it's uh, W W H A M, and each letter, as you can imagine, stands for a question. So, W, who's the medicine for? That's all about understanding, is it age appropriate? Like, for example, you could have somebody buying um, aspirin for a child under the age of 16. That's why we ask who's the medicine for? because um, we, we we can't just assume it's for the person that's making the purchase. Um, right. What are your symptoms? That's question number two. How long have you had those symptoms? It's so important to understand are you taking the medicine for the right symptoms? Is it chronic? Is it recurring? Is it acute? Um, what action, that's the A, what action have you already taken? There's other ways you ask that, like what have you already tried? And that helps yeah. you establish um, what steps has the patient done to look after their or, or self care, um, and the final one: Are you on any other medication? And that one's fundamental because we in pharmacy we want to make sure that there's no interactions. So that's the protocol when it comes to um, dispensing over the counter medicines.
0: That's pretty good. That's nice. It's it's short. We've got one in Australia called What's Stop Go, and I interviewed uh, must have been a hundred. staff. Uh, I found a real problem. Was that honestly? I even asked the body that created the acronym, uh, somebody who re- recently worked there, and they couldn't explain what the acronym was. It was too long. It was what it's stuff go, and well, Yeah, it's yeah.
1: Funny you say that. Like um, you say, it's quite short, but I find that the staff don't use it as often as they would because they shorten it to make the transaction a, a lot quicker. And as right. I said to you earlier on, they tend to either skip some of the questions, and they'll ask, "Is it for you?" So that's kind of like a, a rephrase of who is it for, and right. have you had it before? And that is essentially saying they've you taking it safely before. And um, but and sometimes they'll ask, "Are you on any other medication?" But I do find that when we when they ask those closed questions, and that's that's why the the WHAM. Uh, protocol was so effective because it's open questions so that you get mm. information to be able to give tailored advice. But when you ask closed questions, I love how it it kind of... I was told by um, my predecessor, it was a, a lovely guy called Trevor Gore, that he said that when people are asked closed questions, he said that they don't think about the, the right or wrong answers. What's the safest one? What's going to get me what I want? And he said the same thing happens when you go through an airport. They asked, did you pack your bags yourself? Now, you might not have, but you're going to give the stock answer yes, because you know that if you say no, there might be my mm. line gloves involved. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is why um, we think the closed questions are not as effective. And we see every day that when they ask, are you on any other medication? The patient says no, even though they've just picked up a prescription. You, you right. wouldn't believe the kind of things that go on. And this is why, um, from a, a skill point of view, I, I still think it's fundamental to ask open questions. Now, I've never said that you have to interrogate or ask all the one questions, but get into a conversation, like um, how are you feeling today and like how long have you been taking this medication? So, yeah, just more of a conversation so that you get information to make sure you're, you're given the best possible advice and care for the patient.
0: I think that's probably there's a reason for that. I would imagine it's just a having an open-ended conversation is a there's a massive amount of skill to that where where it comes to, you know, five questions of boxes that you can tick, you know, that's something that anybody can kind of do. Um but I think you're right, you get it's more colour like with a with a acronym you're ticking boxes, but when you're having an open-ended con- conversation with open-ended questions. It's mm-hmm. there's more there's more shades of grey and color and yeah. get to know the person a little bit better.
1: Well you get so you get information that you might not have even realized, like how did it happen and the things. And I think when you have those kind of conversations, um, one of my favorite things, I think it was from Oprah, where she said, "As fundamental as human beings, all we want is to um, be heard." To be understood and to be cared for, and I think that's fundamental in pharmacy. But to be understood, we need to ask questions and truly listen. But mm. what's sad um, about pharmacy, and this is not every pharmacy, so I don't want to overgeneralise, but I do see that because they are incredibly busy workplaces, that it becomes quite transactional, which is we're just trying to like serve the customers as quickly as possible. So. We almost think that we don't have time to have those kind of caring conversations. And as I said, that's why I don't want to overgeneralise. It tends to be when we're super busy that it's more likely to be transactional.
0: So, you've probably come across some veterans, some real champions in a field. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think, who who are really just perfect at that? I just thought of somebody in Australia that is just a rock star when it comes to, it doesn't matter about the time, it doesn't matter how busy I am. It doesn't matter whether this patient takes the product. I'm going to do my best job of recommending the whole health solution, the long term, how to prevent it, the you know the pharmacy grade medication that I can offer. What is it about those people you think differs, makes them different from the average?
1: If the first word that popped into my mind was patients. Yeah. I think that um it's understanding that as busy as you can get that person in front of you um is incredibly important and that they are driven and motivated by making a difference to that person uh, and knowing that that little bit of time that they spared um truly made that person feel cared for and 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 help them towards better health. I think that's, for me, like how I see a lot of these people, they truly care about other people. And 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 you often find these people are great leaders as well. They mm. listen to their staff and they just have that natural, if you want to call it empathy. So, yeah.
0: So you think that the the ones that have been in the field forever with front of the shop of pharmacists, they're just sounds like you're saying they're they're present with the person. They're just yes. there. Yeah. yeah I, I think presence I'll, is the right word. Right. The whole reason I got into this field was I had a bet with a buddy of mine. This yeah. is back when it yeah, yeah. I had a bet that I could have the sexiest tummy in a week. <laughs> um and I had a coaching client who was a pharmacist and um, I went into his one of his sites and the girl that I was talking to was really lovely and she was very friendly, but I wore her out too quickly. Like, I was like, okay, what else can you give me? Can you give me anything to, you know, what else can you do? And I was spending like two hundred fifty, three hundred bucks and it was a $50 bet. <laughs> 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 but I didn't want to lose. Um, so, but, so she, but she got tired of me and went back. I could tell she was already packing shells. She was already gone back to packing shells. And so that's what got me into the field was like the, I could tell the caring was there, but the structure of how to have that conversation or the product knowledge or, um, cause she was so lovely and friendly and warm and caring, but just buggered. She was, she was tired. You know um and i and i wore it out and so she didn't have the presence yeah and so yeah. that's why it got me into the field and i said to the business owner like my, my partner now i was like you know that your staff could use some sales training and he went actually down the rabbit hole of pharmacy we went okay so if you could teach one skill um you do skills training with these pharmacies yeah. I'm, I'm guessing mm-hmm. right. Yeah. If you could teach one skill to help uh, a pharmacy team from the ground up, what would you what would you focus on?
1: Communication. It's mm. fundamental to sales. It's fundamental to efficient teams, to great customer service. But yet we fall down so often in communication. So definitely that, and how like a biggest part of it is listening. Um yeah. So yeah, that would be my one skill I would focus on, and I find myself revisiting it so often. And I wouldn't profess to be the most efficient communicator, yeah,
0: but yeah. Um,
1: I do definitely think that's a fundamental skill um, for the majority of professions, but particularly pharmacy.
0: Yeah. Do you um do you visit uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People ever? You read that book?
1: Yes, uh, Dale Carnegie, I believe it was. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yes, that, that, I
1: uh, read. Uh, do you know one of my favourite books is actually not um, that one? It's 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 a book that has helped me transform how I do what I do, and I think that's why. I think that's why people engage with my training is um, I read a book called The Chimp Paradox. Okay. Um, have you ever heard of it?
0: No, no, and um, you know, my Chimp, my psych- uh, psychology is my undergrad, so.
1: Ah, so the Chimp Paradox um, by Professor Stephen Peters, I believe it was. And he essentially was talking about how we have three brains the chimp, the human, and the computer. The chimp is the limbic brain where we make all our emotional decisions, and it's where we're often kind of looking out for danger all the time, and that is where all our information goes through that part of our brain first, because it is all about protecting us. And then the frontal cortex is the human, it is the logical part of our brain. But the chimp is actually five times stronger than the human. That is why our Mm. emotions often override logic. Yeah. And then you have the computer. This is where all our autopilots, our gremlins, are stored. Autopilots are um, automatic behaviours that we do that are good for us, and gremlins are automatic behaviours that are not so good for us. But I love right. that because I often, this is why I called my um, business Captivating Training Solutions because every time when I go in, it's all about winning hearts and minds because I think you really have to captivate. That limbic brain, that chimp, the emotional centre, because that's where people really often think first, even the most logical of people, even if you mm. want to talk <laughs> so, um <laughs> Still, emotion wins out, and before it goes into the logical brain, it is always filtered through emotion first. So that's why um, I really think about it that way. So, yeah, great
0: I, books, I, Paradox. I highly recommend it. I'll look into it. My, I... Like I said before, my background is in cultural change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk to my kids like that, Like, but I I have it differently. I have the croc brain. This is how I introduce it to my kids, the croc brain for the... The
1: croc brain, well, that's the chimp in this case.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I, uh, I have to explain it to a five-year-old. So I have to make it really simple. I've got the croc brain for getting for danger, looking for a mate, or you know, is yeah. it going to kill me, or do I need to eat it? And then yes. you move up in evolution, you go to the bird brain because this is the first time in evolution where, you know, um, so a, a, an alligator or a, a crocodile or a turtle will lay eggs and it will protect the nest, but it won't care after they're pawn. Which you yeah. think about, like, what a, what a bird has to go through it, it's like, oh, that thing is crying. So it must feel that thing that I feel when I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. So I will feed that thing so that it lives. So it's like this uh, beginning of emotions of other things. Right. And then you've got the the new brain. Or I I think the computer brain is better. I call it the chip brain um, mm. to my kids, the monkey brain because of that. You Remember the the gorilla? Yeah, it was a gorilla, and she. It's it's basically like creating an icon like. Or deducing, um, it's like deducing a hieroglyph or creating an icon, like where she she was able to um, she'd never seen someone wear glasses before, and and she said, "Oh, that's an eye hat." Like she had that creativity yes, to create a, create that icon, and so those are the three brains as I introduce them yes. to my to my kids because yeah you know, they they it, it makes more sense to them. Otherwise, there's The Elephant and the Rider. That was a good one. Um, good one. Yeah, yeah, The Elephant and the Rider. I think that's the name of the book. I can't remember who wrote it.
1: Oh, go and look it up. And the, I,
0: and the way you explain it to kids is you do a fist like this, and you've mm-hmm. got this is the smart brain, and here's the limbic system because it's a little circle as well. Yeah, so, uh, yeah that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I really love that stuff. I really love uh, anything to do with the brain.
1: I love um, all the kind of behavioural cognitive science. It's really what grounds me in my communication and the the training that I develop. Like, I um, develop a lot of training for companies for, for the products, to either sell the products, to introduce them to the industry. And I find that they often get bogged down in the science. Mm. Um, and although it's really important, particularly because we're um, communicating with scientists, like healthcare professionals, they have that background, they're also humans. And you've got to um, cater to that part as well. So, this is why I often love to get that people part of the training. In. Um, and I think that's why, again, a lot of people engage with that training, because I'm they, really um, passionate about making it as practical as possible so that you can see how it applies in real life and can really make a difference to that person. So so that's why mm. I think that understanding the brain and behaviour is so important.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, excellent. I will look into that book. Lynette, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you.
1: Well, uh, where can you people
0: check it. out your stuff?
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it.
0: Where can people check out your business and your stuff and what it is that you do?
1: So, um, my business is Captivating Training Solutions. It's www.captivatingtrainingsolutions.com um, oh. or you can email me at Lynette at CaptivatingTrainingSolutions.com. Uh, my business is, I am there to help train you or to create training that makes your products, people, brands unforgettable. That's what I specialise in.
0: Excellent. I like that catch line. It's clever. It's uh, simple and, and fast enough that a chimp brain can understand it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, yes.
0: You know what you're doing. All right. Thank you so much, Lynette. Thanks again.